Hey, this is John Jameson. If this is the first time you've joined us on the podcast, thank you and welcome. We really appreciate it. Let us know your aha moments and while you're at it, we'd like you to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. The Altcoin Sidekick podcast is available on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean and Stitcher. So please leave a review and don't be scared of making it five stars. We'll keep the great content coming to help you on your journey into the cryptocurrency markets. It's a sea of green as Bitcoin breaking out above $9,000, hitting the 382 Fibonacci level, a level watched by technical analysts, is trending up. Are the top altcoins poised, holding just at their recent highs to follow Bitcoin higher? And if you want to take a position with everything going up, how are you going to make a choice? This is John Jameson for altcoinpsychic.com. And this week, let's talk about how you go about finding cryptocurrency investment ideas. The majority, the 95%, just don't bother. They don't do any research and they just go along and follow their latest guru, hoping for the best. If one word could be used to describe their behavior, it would be this, Geronimo. Some speculators and investors use a pure technical analysis approach, ignoring everything outside of a chart. Over short-term timeframes, this approach can work, but only when used with a sound understanding of risk management. If, however, you want to invest not over the next hour, day, week or month, enjoying the benefits of a short-term pop in price, history suggests that those who understand the drivers of long-term trends, detecting societal shifts whose effect will last not a month or two, but for years. In the Heat Seeker series of articles, podcasts and videos, we talked about embracing simplicity and finding the zeitgeist. It's buying Yahoo in 1996. It's buying Microsoft in 1986. It's understanding the drivers behind the moves. Now, never frightened to use popular culture to make a point. Let's take a trip back in time. Fade in, external, 1863 Brooklyn, on the banks of the East River, looking at the smoking ruins of Manhattan. My father told me we were all born of blood and tribulation. And so then too was our great city. But for those of us who lived and died in those furious days, it was like everything we knew was mightily swept away. And no matter what they did to build this city up again, for the rest of time, it will be like no one ever knew we were even here. Now that's from the closing of the Gangs of New York. Now as time passes in super fast motion, where seconds are years, we see smoking shacks on what's going to become the world's leading financial centre in Lower Manhattan, then Brooklyn Bridge and a faint outline of steel-structured high-rise buildings superimpose themselves over the old world. Next, the icons. In the distance, the Empire State Building takes shape, surrounded by many others. And all the while, the buildings, higher and higher, eventually reveal the skyline of modern-day New York. Now, the violent days of the Five Points in Gangs of New York, where control of the points was fought over between the gangs of the natives and the dead rabbits, um, it and ended on what was to become known as Draft Week, which was an uprising in response to a bill passed by Congress in 1863 to conscript men to fight for the North in the ongoing Civil War. The film Gangs of New York is about the lives of the people who built America. The camera looks on as the characters fade out into obscurity, their problems, beliefs and their very existence to be forgotten forever. Contrast this with the structure of the Brooklyn Bridge fading in, replacing the old, symbolizing order, structure, and the foundation of what's coming next. 
But the Brooklyn Bridge didn't just happen. As Amsterdam and Bill the Butcher were fighting to control the five points, plans were already being drawn up to make them irrelevant. The idea for the bridge was conceived 11 years before the gangs of New York fade out. Gangs of New York fade in, fade out. What has all this got to do with cryptocurrencies? Well, for those searching for the metaphoric construct, it's this. There are thousands of cryptocurrencies. Each, if you read their white papers or sales materials, have a reason for existing. But if history is any guide, most coins and tokens are shifting into a simile like Bill and Amsterdam fighting for control of the five points. The dead rabbits and the natives in the gangs of New York are fighting for local control, but they're failing to put the pieces together and they're unable to figure out the future. Their fate is sealed before we even join their story. They operated in the old world, but they're being rapidly replaced by something new. Why? Because someone had bigger ideas. So with that in mind, let's talk about urban science. The population of New York was approximately 814,000 in 1863. 17 years later, it was 1.2 million. And 20 years after that, it was 3.4 million. According to a 2016 census, the population of New York in 2016 is 8.5 million. Now, one factor not considered by many is how do cities scale? How do they grow as the population increases? Is the infrastructure haphazard? Is it planned or is it a combination of both? In 2006, for the first time, more than 50% of the world's population had moved into cities, compared to just 15% 100 years ago. By 2050, it's estimated that the percentage of the world's population living in cities will rise to over 75%. And this means that 1.5 million people a week will move into cities from non-urban environments over the next 30 years. Now, with such numbers moving into urbanized areas, any mistakes with the infrastructure will have disastrous consequences, especially so since the 2008 financial crisis, where the amount of debt that's been created has ballooned to such large numbers, most people just have no reference points to judge the amount. For example, $23 trillion doesn't sound like much. It's because 23 is a familiar number. It's well within the bounds of common understanding. The problem is, it's the trillion part. That's what causes the trouble. Now, major cities like New York and London seem to be able to absorb the growth of the people moving into them. So why is this man-made phenomenon different to nature? Most organisms, like us, are born, we grow rapidly, but the growth rate's not constant. The growth slows, decay sets in, and we die. And it's the same with companies. Businesses start, and most die, within 10 years, with only a small number surviving over more extended periods. A tiny handful of companies have lasted longer than a human lifetime. And one exception to this is the company Lorillard. It's an American tobacco company which started in business in 1760. But like most biological organisms, even Lorillard eventually died as it was bought out by R.J. Reynolds in June 2015. So why does biological life and man-made structures like companies move through a cycle of creation, growth, decay and death, while other man-made structures like a city does not? Why do cities survive for centuries or even millennia while companies and living organisms don't? Well, it's all about scale. So scale is important, but just bear that in mind while we take a quick detour into thermodynamics. Now, unfortunately, because of the second law of thermodynamics, which states that when uh, energy is transformed into something useful, a byproduct is produced. Uh, and unfortunately, because of that, the consequences are inevitable. Expressed in Edvard Munch's The Scream, 
It depicts a human realizing the inescapable, traveling along a walkway, a metaphor for life towards the fire, symbolizing the end. You eat, you transform the food into energy, and what you don't use, you expel. This transformation from food to energy and waste is called entropy, and it's killing you. So why doesn't entropy affect cities? Well, it's because of the scaling effect. It turns out how an organism like you, a company or a city scales is very important. Does an animal half the size of another require half as much food? And the answer is no. An animal twice the size of another, having twice the number of cells, only needs to ingest 75% more food, not 100% more. And this means that the metabolic rate required to keep an animal alive isn't linear, it's sublinear. Now the metabolic rate of mammals, birds, fish, crustacea, and even plants obey Kleiber's law, which states the metabolic rate scales as a power law of 3 over 4. Now, scaling at a ratio of 3 over 4 using the power law means that an animal with 10 to the 4 times the number of cells as another animal, or 10,000 times larger, only needs 10 to the 3 times or 1,000 times the energy to survive. All mammals are scaled to each other using a 0.75 or 3 over 4 scale factor. A whale is a scaled-up elephant, an elephant is a scaled-up cat, and a cat is a scaled-up mouse. Man-made structures, like cities, follow the same scaling laws too. Is Tokyo a scaled-up Kyoto? And is Kyoto a scaled-up Matsumoto? They are. And it turns out that cities scale the same way organisms do, scaling at 0.85 instead of an organism's 0.75 scale factor. And this means as a city scales, the savings on infrastructure is 15%. That's 15% less electrical cables, copper pipes, length of roads, and even gas stations. So what motivates people to move into cities? Well, there are many socioeconomic advantages of doing so, like access to better healthcare, better education, and of course, higher wages. But cities have a kicker. Like the scale factor of 0.85, which gives 15% savings on the infrastructure needed to support larger populations, boosting socioeconomic benefits for, to, for those moving into a city. Now, as a city grows, the socioeconomic benefit scales not sublinearly at 0.85, but superlinearly with a scale factor greater than one. Actually, it's around 1.15. And this is why cities are so successful. As a city's population increases, the cost of building the supporting infrastructure decreases by 15%, yet the social advantages of people living in the city increases by 15%, every time the city doubles in size. With scale and thermodynamics covered, let's remind ourselves of the simplicity of the power of three. Most information on cryptocurrencies is either rehashed uh, as a press release comment and quote article or a technical deep dive. And in our time-starved world, it's extremely easy to get overwhelmed. The Thinking in Three series of articles, podcasts, and videos focused on the power of having at least three behavioral conditions present before taking action. The power of three can be applied not though just to behavioral patterns, but also to simplified heuristics. So instead of getting lost, attempting to understand the trade-offs in blockchain security between proof of work and proof of stake algorithms, instead of figuring out the pros and cons of on-chain versus off-chain transactions, and instead of falling down the technical black hole when reading about the loss of Byzantine fault tolerance when sharding a protocol and moving from single to parallel threading, allowing the protocol to run uh, in parallel, start instead with three high-level questions. And they are, one, what real-world problem does this cryptocurrency or blockchain technology solve? 
Two, is the technology scalable? And three, who are the developers? Now, when keeping it simple, it comes down to this. Are you going to take the blue pill where the story will end and you'll carry on as before, not even curious uh, to know how the world you take for granted really works? Or are you going to take the red pill and begin your journey? Charles Hoskinson, CEO of IOHK, the company behind Cardano, when meeting with world leaders and senior politicians, has said that he is rarely asked about the in-depth mechanisms under the hood. Instead, the questions he gets are about finding real-world solutions to the real-world problems. And Hoskinson said, for example, when he goes to Ethiopia, they don't ask him about building a fast-finality, instant-settlement, Byzantine-resistant protocol. Instead, they explain it takes two to three hours to pay power and water bills in Addis Ababa, and what they want to know is, can this be achieved using a system that takes less than 15 seconds? It's a real-world problem, and they need a solution. To solve problems using cryptocurrencies, you need to find out the way that the real world works, and this can be achieved without diving into the technical jargon and without a technical background. One way to do this is to use your own experience. Has part of your life become more difficult? Has something you used to do every day changed? Not immediately, but gradually, forcing you to spend uh, more time on something that used to take just a few minutes. Uh, one thing that you are probably familiar with is the increased regulations and restrictions on your access to financial products. So as an example, in the UK, financial planners often have little idea of how the financial markets actually work. Instead, they are experts in the abstract rules that they have to comply to to give you advice. Yes, they know how the products they sell work at the top level of abstraction, like the returns or the fees and the charges, but ask them about derivatives or the impact of option trading on exchange-traded funds and the volume of trade being placed through ETFs and how that affects markets through stationarity or co-integration and you can expect blank faces with very, very few knowing the real implications. Investing, and in 2019 banking, has been abstracted away from what, into what is actually a checkbox designed system to protect you, not only from others, but also from yourself. Now, financial planners today have to know everything about their customers. They have to fill out detailed KYC, know your customer forms, and subject the prospective clients to AML, anti-money laundering checks. And here's the thing, if they find anything that doesn't fit into their checkbox system, they have to file suspicious activity reports. And this means that they effectively have to tell the authorities or the governments about their customers or about you. So the checkbox system has created a real world problem. And this is because if banks can't get enough information about someone to satisfy their checkbox system, that someone doesn't get a bank account. The computer says no, and in 2019, over 3 billion people have no access to basic financial services, and they are known collectively as the unbanked. It's a real-world problem. Now, most have no idea they exist, preferring to take the blue pill, unaware of how the world they live in really works. To find ideas for cryptocurrency investments, take the red pill and get ready for a surprise. The scaling laws, as applied to cities, have a surprising quality. 
The socio-economic benefits of living in a city scale at approximately 1.15 or a 15% increase every time the population doubles, while the cost of providing the infrastructure decreases around 15%. Wages earned, the number of restaurants, and innovation as measured by patents fail, uh, filed all scale at an exponent value of 0.85 when comparing cities in the same country. Now, it's the same way when you talk about companies where the number of employees scales with the growth rate of the business. But there are some surprising variables too. Even the number of gas stations in a city follows the sublinear infrastructure scale of around 0.85 or 85%. So by comparing two similar companies in the same country, or by comparing two cryptocurrencies, you could, by comparing the growth rate in the number of people employed, by the supporting organization or company, for example, develop a non-technical system for finding cryptocurrency investment ideas. While the majority of cryptocurrency investors, the 95%, approach finding cryptocurrency trading ideas like Amsterdam and Bill in the gangs of New York, fighting over territory long in the shadow of a world that's already replaced them, by using metrics that scale, like the number of employees, the 5%, the most consistent speculators and investors, develop their own ideas, finding metrics that highlight the leading cryptocurrencies, not MACDs or RSIs or other technical indicators, but real-world indicators of pent-up demand. The 5% free themselves from the opinions of others, allowing them to concentrate only on the things that matter, like the direction and duration of a trend. This is John Jameson for altcoinpsychic.com and I'll see you next time. Hey, this is John Jameson. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and you've got a lot out of it. Don't forget to rate us on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, Stitcher or your favorite podcast platform. Your review will help spread the word and allow us to create more thought-provoking content for you covering all things crypto, not just the individual coins and tokens, but the societal trends and motivations behind the rollout of blockchain technology. The internet is being re-engineered and not one in a hundred thousand realizes it's happening. Welcome to the revolution.